Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Here at LifeHouse, we are going through the 2024 Better series, right? And it's based out of Martha and Mary, okay? Um, And Martha is actually talking about the culture, how we're constantly busy, worried, okay? But Mary actually chose what was better and sat down at the feet of Jesus. And this is what we're doing here at LifeHouse. We are choosing what is better, okay? We're being proactive. We're trying to see what is the better way. It doesn't mean that what Martha was doing was wrong. It just means that there is something better out there. And God is inviting us to that something that is better. And today we're going to be talking about better stories. Okay? And I think it is important to know what makes a better story. And what makes a better story is the whole picture. We cannot pick and choose the things that we want to just project or, or we want others to see. And we live in a culture today that that's what happens. Can you agree? The culture that we live in is a highlight culture. So the highlight culture is basically this. In a world where every image is polished to baby smooth skin perfection, every couple seems to be straight out of a magazine, And every moment appears to be the endless vacation. It's crucial to remember that real life is more than just the happiest snapshots. I mean, how many can relate? I mean, I remember one time I was with my wife. And uh, she she was just like, why are we not going on vacation? And I'm like, where is this coming from, babe? You know? She's scrolling on IG, seeing other couples going on vacation, sipping margaritas at the beach, living the life. And you start seeing all these things, but you don't see the back end. You don't see what's happening in the back end. And I think that's, this, that's the important thing that we need to figure out, that it's about the whole picture. Why is being aware of this important? Not being aware of this can amplify or lead us to have feelings of FOMO. Fear of missing out. Right? We see all these things happening. We see all these people. You see the, you know, the magazine, like I said, a couple. You see also their living rooms. They look straight out of uh, Ikea. Right? You're watching the picture. You're seeing the picture, and you know it smells good there. And it's just a picture. Okay? That's how beautiful it looks. That's how beautiful it projects. But they don't show when their kids are running around making a mess in the house. So the thing is that we go ahead and see those pictures. And then we look at our house. We look at our kids. We see how there's a mess. And we're figuring out if we're doing something wrong. If we're going crazy. What is happening in my house? Why isn't my marriage happy? Why isn't my life at work happy? Why are my kids doing the things that they're supposed to? 
Because we've been bombarded every single day with images of things that are nearly perfect. And that's the culture that we live in. This is the intro. And yes, we need to understand, like Clarissa spoke and said, that we, as, as people of God, as people that have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, we start from a place where we have identity. We know we are a child, a son, a daughter of God, and we should always start from that point. What we do does not change the love that God has for us. So, now that we've clarified that, I'm going to start my message. Today, we're looking at the story of David. The story of David that we will cover today are found in 1 and 2 Samuel. And those books are attributed to the prophets Samuel, Nathan, and God. G-A-D. God. And I just want to go ahead and talk about the highlights of David. If we lived in the world of, of highlight, right, that we do today, and David would have been king today, this is what would have been probably on his IG. Okay? This is David's highlight right here. David was handsome. 1 Samuel 16, 12. He was brave for both a lion and a bear to rescue sheep from their mouth. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. Now, I'm afraid of possums. <laughs> I'm afraid of possums. I see those things on the fence, and I'm like, I'm going back inside. I'm a city boy. Not really, not really. I was raised in the Dominican Republic, but they don't have possums over there. But that's the thing. We're looking at these highlights, right? We're looking at this guy that's handsome. The Bible says he's handsome, like me. He's brave. I don't know how I would react with a lion and a bear, but seeing that I'm afraid of possums, you know, that should tell us something. He was anointed by Samuel, by the prophet. And this event is recorded in 1 Samuel 16. My man defeated Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. He was a military commander. He was celebrated by the people of Israel. There's even a song that the people used to sing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He plays a harp, the harp, or the harp. How is it pronounced? Harp. Thank you. Bilingual here, people. My man could play music. He was handsome. He was brave. I mean, he probably was fit too. Can I relate to this? If it would have been just a highlight culture within the Bible, I couldn't be able to relate to this man. This man is far superior than what I am just by reading this. He became king of Israel, 2 Samuel 5, reigned as a king for 40 years, seven years in Hebron over Judah, 33 years over all Israel, 
in Jerusalem, 1 Kings 2.11. He expanded his kingdom, defeating the Philistines, Moabites, Ammonites, Arameans, and all of the ends of those days. Securing peace and control over key territories. 2 Samuel 8. My man, he wrote approximately 73 psalms were attributed to David. Within them, Psalm 8410, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Isn't his resume amazing? Doesn't he sound like an incredible guy? Basically perfect. But the Bible doesn't hide the flaws of his heroes. And all stories are messy. We know that. See, it's not a race. It's a marathon. David's anointing. He was anointing approximately when he was 10 to 15 years old. When he was anointed by Samuel as the future king of Israel, it is estimated that he became king at the age of 30, meaning there was a gap of approximately 15 to 20 years between his anointing and when he actually became king. Right there, there is a gap of time. I don't know what God has promised over your life. I don't know if they prayed over you. I don't know if you have received something that you think that God has given you or has told you that he is going to do for you. Or is there something that you're waiting from God to do in your life? See, David was anointed. But the thing that the highlight culture will leave out is the process. We're trained to think that everything is quick and fast. I mean, Pastor John has said the example before. We go to Chipotle. We go on the line. We create this ball of goodness. In less than five minutes. To order how you want it. You know, put some lettuce there, put some, some tomatoes, let's do some guac, some pico. And you get to order the things that you want when you want it. And most of the time now, it's even more enhanced. Before, I used to go to the store to get stuff. I mean, we men, we love Amazon. We don't, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I don't like going to the store. I've been marked. I was marked by my mama. I lived in Jamaica, Queens, New York. Jamaica Avenue was full. It was like a strip mall. It was like full of stores. We used to walk countless blocks going into all those stores. So I just love Amazon. Just go up there, click, next day delivery, boom, at my doorsteps. But this is shaping us. This is shaping us to be a certain type of person. We're not as patient as we were before. We get a little bit of lag on our phone, on our internet, and we're going crazy. But back in the day, you had to get the landline, put it on the modem, hear some crazy sound, and to load a page. Just to load one page. I remember that back then I was into anime, drawing anime. 
And I remember that I would just, I went to a friend's house because I have a computer. He would connect it to the router, do the, the whole thing, click on one of the pictures, and that thing, we would, we would go out and play. Okay? Go back, and it was still like half an eye. But that is something that we're missing in today's time. Being able to be patient, being able to wait. Everything in the culture wants to mold you for fast-paced, when you want it. I mean, I know you guys remember TV, right? Like, actually, TV programming. Where you would actually have to run to the bathroom at a commercial because you couldn't stop it. And then you had to wait another week to see the episode. At that time, if you weren't there that time, you missed it. I remember I rented an Airbnb and my sons were with me. And they turned on the TV and it had cable. And it wasn't the cable even that you could stop. Because you know that, you know, eventually you could even stop cable. Because they had like a, re a recorder type of thing happening to it. And my son walks up to me. He's like, Papi, I can't stop the TV. <laughs> he had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> now, if we don't intentionally teach our children, if we don't intentionally teach them patience, Everything around them is teaching them the, other, the opposite. It's teaching them that things will wait for them. That they could get things when they want. I mean, even, even I'm going to confess this, Lord. If there's a series that I get hooked on, I mean, I could, I, that, that next button right there, that's the devil. That, that thing that's it, next episode, that's the devil. It's like you see that, you see that filling up. And you're like, let's just see how the other one starts. Let's just, let's just see how the other one starts. And then I'm there to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Looking at my wife like we got to be up at 6 to take the kids to school. All because we are being shaped and formed. I mean, we're laughing about this, and it's good, right? But at the end of the day, it's a reality. We're being shaped and formed a certain way. We're being discipled without knowing it. So we need to be very intentional, have conscious decisions into the things that we're going to do. So there's a process to things. David had to wait. He was not king immediately. I mean, my man was even persecuted before he became king by Saul. He was envious. Saul was envious of David. And it was a crazy relationship because Jonathan, which was Saul's son, was David's best friend. I mean, can you imagine having the father of your best friend trying to kill you? This is why it's important to see the whole picture. Because before, I couldn't relate to David. 
But now I'm starting to relate to him. When you were anointed to be king, when a word was spoken over your life, over your family's life, things that God said that he was going to do for you, even as a church, as a body, there's promises for us. Amen? And some of us are here sitting down and saying, when is my turn? When are you going to give me mine? But one of the things that I see from the teaching of David is that he goes ahead and is persecuted. He has to run away. And sometimes it feels like you're running away from your purpose. Sometimes it feels like life itself is pushing you away from the calling that God gave you. It's pushing you away from the things that God has spoken over your life. And it seems like you're, 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 just, you're just going further and further away from them. Just like I think David felt when he was running away for his life. Now I can relate to that. How many can relate to that? Now the story of David is looking a bit like mine. Not entirely, but it's starting to, when it comes to the process, I can, I can relate to the process. We need to consider not only what elements contribute to a better story, but also how it influences influence us, whether it inspires or discourages us. Because that highlight culture, even the highlights of David, that did not inspire me. That discouraged me. I'm like, this guy has it all. No wonder he became king. What about me? I have flaws. I'm not as good looking. I don't speak that well. I don't have money. I don't come from a good family. Fill in the blank. All stories are messy. God does not seek to conceal the flaws or struggles of heroes. Rather, he is interested in revealing the entire journey and the complete story. And we're going to go ahead and do some Bible reading. That's what happens when we preach. We have to read the Bible. And we're going to start with 2 Samuel 2.11. And it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Becoming comfortable and complacent can result in neglecting your duties or lowering your guards. I'm going to say that one more time. Becoming comfortable and complacent can result in neglecting your duties or lowering your guard. It says very explicitly in that text, when kings went out to war. See, David decided not to go to war when he was supposed to. In those times, culturally, and more in those times of spring, the king would go out to war with his soldiers. But David stayed. That makes me believe that David was not in the right headspace, right from the gate. And then it happens the following, which I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. This is, this is, this is really good. 2 Samuel 11, we're going to go to verse 2. We just read verse 1. One evening... 
David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Come on, David. The woman was beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Come on, David. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah of Hittite. Then David sent messenger, a messenger to her. Come on, David. She came to him and slept with her. David! Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and said a word to David saying, I am pregnant. David! Come on! So David sent, his, uh, sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. He called the husband? When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Man, David. To his face. After sleeping with his wife. The nerves. David. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at, slept at the entrance to the palace with all, his, with all his master's servant and did not go down to his house. Good for you, Uriah. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just, haven't you just come from military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in open country. How could I go to my house, eat, drink, and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such thing. This, this guy had integrity. He knew the other soldiers were out there. In discomfort, without the warmth of, 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 of their women or their wives. And he didn't feel comfortable doing that, knowing that his buddies couldn't do it. In the morning, David wrote a letter. I skipped something, I'm sorry. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and the next, at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. So David was slick. See, he couldn't say no to the king if the king calls him over, right? So David calls him over so he can eat and drink. And it says he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home, not even drunk. My boy, my boy did the right thing, even drunk. Okay? In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. David? 
David Arp David? David Goliath David? David Lion and Bears David? David the man after God's own heart David? That David? Yes, that David. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Let's keep it there. I mean, it's crazy how we have somebody that has walked with the Lord, have seen the promises of the Lord, and does something so outrageous and so far out of what we would think his character even is. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I can't relate to that. I can. I mean, I at least one thought have had to wipe somebody out. At least one thought. But we can see how the Bible does not hide his, the, the hero's flaws. Because God wants us to know that this is a journey. God wants us to know that we will fail. God wants us to know how we are not perfect. And how we continually need to be vigilant and look for him. Seek his face. We can see here that David was not where he was supposed to be. He was comfortable. He neglected the duties that he, 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 he was supposed to be doing. My grandmother always told me something. If you ain't busy, you're going to have bad thoughts. You bored? All right, let's do something. Let's get you cleaning. We need to figure out how these stories can inspire us, how we can learn from them, from others' experiences, from others that have walked with the Lord and also see God's great mercy and love and forgiveness and the way that he can restore us. See, David had many moral failures. He had gotten comfortable, complacent, and neglected his duties. 2 Samuel 11 exemplifies how initial wrongdoing, followed by the effort to conceal it, can escalate into greater sin. Exemplifies how initial wrongdoing, followed by efforts to conceal it, can escalate into greater sin. You know how many people are in debt because they want to maintain an image for people that are just giving likes. They're not even depositing money in their bank accounts. You know how many people are sacrificing time with their family? Sacrificing so many other things just to maintain a facade. How many people are not dealing with the things within their heart See, but God 
You can't conceal anything from God. God knows everything. And I just love the way that God approached David. I mean, we see it here in 2 Samuel 12, 13. And I'm going to read the whole thing too, so bear with me. But this is good. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew it up. See, see how God is playing on David's heart? Because he used to be a shepherd. But the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank, with, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ill lamb, E-W-E. Somebody tell me how you pronounce that. You lamb, thank you. He took the you lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the men and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the men who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. I just love how, how, how God approached the situation. Because you know what happens when somebody could come straight on to us and tell us what we did wrong? What is the first thing we do? Excuses. I ain't do it. Or you try to hide it some more. Well, I was just walking up there, and she was naked. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Well, David, instead of calling her over, why didn't you just construct her a bathroom where it was, you know, you're the king? But he didn't go that route. You know why? I just love this part, and it's because it is easy for us. To look at other people's sin, to look at other people's issues or problems. And it's easy for us to be harsh on judgment. When we see somebody else's sin, like, yeah, that person, they, they should go to hell. Yeah, good for them, they're suffering. That's what they deserve. But when something hits, close to home, with our children, with ourselves, we want to be merciful and graceful. Well, you don't understand the way he grew up. Well, you don't understand because it's easy for us to just judge others harshly. And I just love how God approached this because it tells us where David's heart was. He knew what the right thing was. And he chose to do the opposite. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I deliver you from the hand of Saul. 
I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives unto your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. That shook me. And I'm going to read that one more time. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. You know what I think God is trying to tell us here? It doesn't matter what you go chasing after in the world. It doesn't matter what you think your desires are. Your desires are. What he has for you is always going to be better. And if you don't think that's enough, you know what? He's a fountain of ever-flowing life of water for you. He is God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is nothing he can't do. He knows the desires of our heart. But he also knows what's better for us. I mean, David repented immediately. He repented immediately. And that's something that I have to admire of David. He repented immediately. And then he wrote Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to the unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the, from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your, of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight and sacrifice, or I would bring it. You did not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. I just want to give it up to God right now. Cause... Thank you, Father. And it's not that David wrote this. It's that God heard. See, when you are in your, lower, your lowest place, when you think there is no, no more opportunities or no more chances, God says, I'll hear you out. Will you choose me? 
See, David, God went ahead and, and forgave David. But there were consequences with that sin. Consequences that brought a lot of things to David's household. And I'm just going to run real quick through them because it's 10.15 already. PJ is rubbing up, rubbing up on me. <laughs> so, one of the things, the sword will never depart from your house, which was declared by, by Nathan the prophet, um, is because the sword to strike down Uriah the Hittite, violence will not depart from his own house, 2 Samuel 12.10. This prophecy is fulfilled through the internal conflicts within David's family, including the rape of Tamar by her half-brother Ammon, Ammon's subsequent murder by their brother Absalom, and Absalom's rebellion against David. Absalom declares himself king in Hebron and raises a rebellion that forces David to flee Jerusalem. Okay? 2 Samuel 15. Defeat and death of, of the rebellion. The rebellion culminated in the battle of the wood of Ephraim, where David's forces led by Joab defeated Absalom's army. Absalom meets his demise during the battle when his, when his hair gets caught on the branches of a large oak tree, leaving him hanging at, at a mule run, that runs away. Despite David's explicit command to deal gently with Absalom, Joab finds him and kills him, driving three javelins through his heart. 2 Samuel 18. If I, have, if I could have Christian come up and play the piano so we can land this plane real quick. So... David mourns upon hearing of, of Absalom's death. David is overcome with grief, famously lamenting, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 2 Samuel 18.33 This reaction underscores the deep love David had for his son despite Absalom's rebellion. You think that somebody that had have have not gone through what David gone through, would it have that type of mercy and love? That's the beautiful thing about our journey. That's the beautiful thing about looking at the whole picture and the things that are our failings and our triumphs. They are weaved together, and God is using them to mold us, to shape us, to be more like him. Those that are forgiven a lot, love a lot. So I don't know what sin you think you have committed, Hopefully it's not murder. <laughs> but even with murder, God will forgive you. I mean, David's life has such a contrast of great things, great complexities of the human nature. Offering profound lessons on God's grace, mercy, and the potential for redemption. If we continually just live on a highlight culture, we will miss out on the process, the journey, the divine grace. And we need to understand that what made David great was not that he fought lions and bears. What made David great was not that he defeated Goliath. What made David great was not that he was a king. What made David great was that he wanted to see God's face. He understood that it was better to be in God's presence than a thousand elsewhere. 
And these are the ending thoughts so that we could close out. Embrace the journey. Our walk with Christ is an ongoing journey shaped by triumph and trials. Embrace of divine grace. No failure is too great to be covered by God's love and grace. Pursued of a heart aligned with God. God invites us to a relationship with Him that is characterized by sincerely humility and willingness to change. Key thing, willing to change. That's what made David a God, a man after God's own heart. His ability to be sincere, to humble himself, and willing to change. And I think that's one of the biggest things within this highlight culture. It's one of the things within this, this culture in general. You're telling us that we have to become more of ourselves. They're telling us that we have to be more of who we are. And that's not what the Bible is saying. That's not what Christ is saying. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, you have to die so I live in you. And God is inviting us to something better. For a better story. If David would have chosen to do the opposite of what he did, which was repentance and his willingness to change, his story would have been different. It wouldn't have been a better story. Because even though he had to pay for the consequences of his sin, the greatest thing, the thing that he cherished the most, which was God's presence, never departed him. Can we get and receive that invitation from God to actually cherish and understand and know how valuable his presence is and how there's nothing, absolutely nothing we could do where he won't forgive us as long as we repent. If we could stand on our feet, life house. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.